0: We've been doing a series uh, this month, actually, on uh, Romans chapter eight. Actually, past couple of weeks, I should say, uh, and talking about uh, living in victory. That's kind of been the theme for the summer. But we're kind of parking in Romans eight and uh, going through a few of these verses uh, week by week. And uh, what a challenge it's been, and uh, a powerful, a powerful passage. And I, I like to quote this. I've been mentioning this a couple of weeks now, but uh, there are some commentators that liken uh, the Bible to a ring. And Romans would be the diamond on that ring. And Romans 8 would be the sparkle of the diamond on that ring. uh, And as we go through this, I think you're kind of seeing why that is. Just a very precious passage, uh, really about our position in Jesus Christ. And uh, Romans 8, we're going to begin reading in verse 18. Verse 18. And read through a few verses. It says here, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Our focus is going to be talking about today, really a couple themes, but the overall theme is this, there's a brighter day a coming. There's a brighter day coming. We'll talk about that in a moment. So I'd like to do just a simple recap of what we've been talking about over the next or last couple of weeks. And uh, Romans 8, again, is a very important passage uh, that really deals with the believer where he is in Christ and says, in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And this really here, that opening phrase, really sets the stage for Romans eight, because it begins in Romans eight, verse one, that there's no condemnation. And when you go to the end of Romans eight, you'll find that there's no separation. And so in the middle of that, in between those verses, where do we set? Where where do we find our place? in this life, and really in our life with Christ, is this, we are supposed to be living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and enjoy the love of the Spirit as well. And today, we're going to kind of see that how we uh, maneuver through this life, what hope is there for us to live right now in light of eternity. Very, very important. So we first of all find this, that we are actually, with a quick... Memory glass, or you can read this on your own time. If you look at Romans chapter six and seven, you will find out that Paul was talking about the the bondage that we have living in the flesh. Uh, that as believers in Christ, now that we are freed from that law, we are free from that that pull, if you will, or that bent, if you will, by living after the flesh, living after our own way, living after sin. And now in Christ, we are now in a very new direction. So we have found our freedom is found in who we are in Christ. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer condemned. We are now justified. We are declared righteous. We also find how is this done? Freedom is found in the power of the Spirit. That's in verse two. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. And this law, just as a uh, a quick reminder that this is not talking like a law that's on the books, like you know you can only go 55 miles an hour. Don't break that law. It's not talking about that. It's more like a law, like the law of gravity, for example. In our natural state, we are like the law of gravity. We are going to be continually dropped down. But what happens with Jesus Christ? He basically stops gravity in its tracks, right? He stops our bent towards sin, and now we have a new life in him. That's what it's talking about. But again, it's not in our power, but it's in the Spirit's power. That's what it's talking about. How is this accomplished in verse 3? That's talking about the Savior's sacrifice, who basically identified himself with us in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And then that relationship and that setting then enables us to live righteously. That's verse 4, that we would be walking not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So how can we have that Spirit? It, in uh, verses five through eight talks about the battle the mindsets we are pulled the flesh versus the spirit death versus life for example pleasing god or pleasing self we, we talked about this before there's just two choices on the shelf pleasing god or pleasing self and for a lot of us that seems to be a daily battle i don't know about you but i wake up in the morning i have to deal with me all right and that can be a battle In that regard. So, how can we get victory? How can we get victory over the flesh and over the bent of the flesh and doing the things that are contrary to God? And that is by living in the Spirit. And so, by doing that, it says in verse 9, it says here, but we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Okay. So, again, you are now, if you are a child of God here today, you are, are born again, your sins have been forgiven, you are no longer in the flesh permanently even though we still dwell with that until we get to heaven we are now though our positionally are in the spirit the spirit dwells within us and the spirit who made jesus alive is the one who works in our 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 lives as well with our mortal bodies that will are decaying that suffer and that we do face grief and trials that's not the end of the story because why the spirit gives us power to do what god wants us to do to live for him So, with that in mind, verses 9 through 11 talks about having the assurance of a spiritual mind. In other words, as we are in Christ, we have the assurance that he is with us. Uh, And that's very, very important. But the key to living in victory is to have a spiritual mind. Basically means be submitted to Jesus Christ, knowing that we have a sure hope of our position in Christ. So now the question is, how should we live? Last week, we talked about, in verses 12 through 17, Uh, we talked about this, that we are not obligated to live uh, under the the flesh, but under the Spirit. You have no obligation to continue living the ways of the world, continue the ways of your life. You are now, as a child of God, your obligation or your bent now should be to mortify the flesh, put it to death, get it out of there, and then basically living for the Lord. So how do we do that? Our calling is to be led by the Spirit of God as Children of God. God's children are led by the Spirit. We are basically to follow the Spirit's leading. And we talked about before, a lot of people are sitting around wondering, okay, God, when are you going to lead me? When are you going to tell me where to go next? You know what? God is already working. His Spirit is always working. And He's, he's working in one specific way. Don't go to the ways of the flesh. Okay. Keep your eyes on the Lord, understand your, your your position in Christ. The spirit assures us it testifies with our spirit. Many ways that happens here 's the point god 's spirit leads us to god 's places with god 's power that 's living by the spirit okay uh, within that as well, we talked about the spirit of adoption, that adoption here, and we 're talking about it again a little bit differently today. But this idea of adoption in the Bible is when we think of adoption, we think of a a child that is is brought into another family. Like we we mentioned, we have some friends in Philadelphia that just adopted a young young little girl. And uh, yeah, so she is now part of that family. But again, the biblical idea of adoption is so much, that's just the beginning, folks. It's so much more than that. And we talked about, remember, this is probably not going to go much beyond this today, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, when Charlie Bucket gets the golden ticket, he gets, what? What does he win at the end? He gets everything. And that's what it is. With a, When we are adopted, we are given a new name, a new status. There's no debt, nothing. We are on a new, it's more than just being part of a family. We are given an inheritance that we share with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture that we have, okay? So this is very, very important as we see who we are in Jesus Christ. So with that, we are led by the Spirit, but we are also loved by the Spirit. That's as verses 16 and 17 as well. That God who loves us, and don't forget that God loves you as His child. His Spirit bears with us with our spirit that we are the children of God, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. So this is a, a big Big important truth that we need to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. That don't live as a spiritual pauper. That, you know, you're just wandering around and God just forgets you and abandons you. Sometimes you might feel like that. And I think, and we kind of dealt with that a little bit yesterday about the assurance. God's Spirit, who works within our lives, works to give us inner assurance of God's truth. Let me say that again God's Spirit works within us to give us inner assurance of God's truth. There's a lot of people who struggle with, am I saved? Am I really God's child? And I think really what they're dealing with is more so I don't feel saved. Feelings come and go, folks. What we need is the, the rock-solid foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Walking in the Spirit. Here's a big key. Why is this important? Because walking in the Spirit gives us a deeper assurance of standing in no condemnation. That's in verse 1. The Spirit helps us to understand, hey, we are no longer in condemnation. This is why it's important to be led by the Spirit and be loved by the Spirit. Within that, within that standing that we have now, that assurance, we will share in the glories and the sufferings of Christ, which will bring greater glory. Look at the end of verse 17. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And that beautifully leads up to what we're talking about today now in this next section. So God's Spirit, here's a recap over the past few verses. God's Spirit is calling us uh, further up and further in in our growth in our relationship with Him as we live in Him God's Spirit leads us He loves us we have inherited richly, heavenly riches as joint heirs with Christ and with that living in the Spirit it really is a joy for the believer it should be you want to see a, a, a true Christian a true Christian is a joyful Christian okay very important so where is this leading to where are we going with this what do we do now? Because it says, okay, this sounds great on Sunday morning, but you know what, Pastor? Tomorrow morning, i got to go back to work. <laughs> i got to talk to so-and-so. Or i got to look at my neighbor and whatever he's going to tell me. Or I'll be honest with you, sometimes we struggle with, I get up in the morning and i got to deal with whatever is issue in my heart. Maybe I'm dealing with some fear or anxiety that I just can't get control over right now. I'm dealing with some other things in my life that maybe, maybe an addiction or something that you just can't shake within your own heart. And so where do we then go with this? And this is, I want us to understand this, that there is a point with the struggles and the sufferings that we do deal with today. We just mentioned uh, earlier today of how many struggles are in our own church family. Marcy, for the past couple months now, I mean, she almost passed away on us just last week. Uh, She's done some recovery we heard about Clarence going to the hospital this morning. We talked about Natalie and just monitoring this baby. And there's many others, uh, other requests, people dealing with sicknesses and other things going on. And they we're like, man, can't we ever get a break? Have you ever felt like that? When you look at the prayer list, man, it's been there for a while. I said, like, God, where's your grace? Where's your mercy? Where are you, God? And we kind of deal with that. I remember this has been a few years ago now when we were living in Tennessee, uh, that uh, we were a part of a uh, being our son, Benjamin, as most of you know, has hemophilia, a rare bleeding disorder. And so uh, I was privileged to be a, a board member of our state hemophilia foundation in Tennessee. And uh, we actually um, put some events together, and I remember we would go up to the Smoky Mountains. Uh, Smoky Mountain National Park is the most visited national park in the U.S. Uh, try to visit our national parks. It's worth it, right? But nonetheless, going up there, there's a place that uh, I often think about, we often go to, is a place called Cade's Cove. Cades Cove in the Smoky Mountains if you ever get up there it's like you have to go there to see it because everyone does all right but you're going to see some of the primitive uh, places where some of the old-timers the frontiersmen lived back in the early 1800s uh, late 1700s um, in that area so Cades Cove is just a beautiful area it's this big this is valley that's right in nestled in the Smoky Mountains and it's just a beautiful site but my wife and I we would often go there to uh, just kind of reflect on God's promises. It's a place of peace and a place that we remember God's plan. When we were there one time, I remember there's a song that my wife and I like listening to. It's done by uh, a Christian group called the the Rochesters, uh, Rochester family. And the song is simply this, there's a brighter day coming. And this is the chorus of it. And I wish I could sing it for you, but I, I need a full guitar and mandolin and everything and violin to do it justice. Okay? But it basically says this, There's a brighter day a coming. Soon our heartaches will be gone. Sorrow won't be a memory in the light of heaven's dawn. It's a beautiful song, a beautiful picture of what it means to have this hope that one day the struggles that we have will one day be o'er. It will just simply be a memory in the light of heaven's dawn. So there's a brighter day coming. And I want us to understand that, that in the midst of sorrow and struggle and trials that each of us will face, not, none of us here are immune from a trial or a struggle. We've probably been there, maybe are in it at the moment, or you will face it eventually. We're not immune from that. So how then do we navigate through those issues? There's a, there's a, a saying that preachers often use that if you preach to hurting hearts, you'll never, uh, you'll never miss an audience. Okay? This is very true. This is true even in our hearts today. God's grace has been there at every turn for us, for our journey, and especially with the medical issues that we've dealt with our own family. And I praise God for the promises that he has given us, that we can trust him through the valley, and that there is a brighter day coming, that the darkness won't last forever. That's what we can, we can bank on today. So I want to bring us our attention back to the scriptures here, verses 18 and 19. It says here, Paul says, For I reckon, he says, I reckon, he must have been from Texas, right? it so, says, I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Beautiful verses, especially verse 18. And this really here, verse 18, really sets the stage for the next several verses. And it's very detailed. We'll try to do our best to go through it. But this is kind of the big purpose here that I reckon or I have accounted for that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. First of all, understand this, that there is a purpose for suffering. There is a purpose for suffering. And with that, and I've often read this, that God doesn't waste suffering. God doesn't waste suffering. Why? Because it's for our good and for His glory. There is a reason. By the way, there's several reasons for that God allows suffering to happen in our lives. But ultimately, God doesn't waste it. We might. You know, is what we do with it. We might hang our heads down like Eeyore, you know, have that gloomy cloud over us all the day. But ultimately, God doesn't waste suffering. It's for our good and for his glory. You know why? because of this it's talking about here to be compared with the glory shall be revealed. It's talking about a future day, a brighter day that's going to happen for the believer, okay it says uh, actually kind of an idea here from uh, a commentator he says this that in heaven the glory in the glory in the believer will simply be revealed. In other words, the glory that we have let's kind of look at that it's talking about this the sufferings are not to be compared. With the glory that awaits us, that shall be revealed. The glory that's in us here is the glory that Christ has placed. When you are a child of God, Jesus comes into your life. And guess what? You have the hope of Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? You have that glory. But you know what? You haven't seen nothing yet. You thought it was wonderful the day you got saved. And it is a wonderful day, folks. But guess what? That's nothing to be compared when we shall stand in the presence of Jesus himself. And all of our sorrow trials will be a memory. Our sufferings will be a memory. You see here, according to Morris, it says that the glory will be revealed, not created. This isn't said, oh, yeah, one day you're going to have glory in heaven. No, it's simply it's in you, but it's going to be revealed. The implication that is already existent, but not apparent. We just can't see it yet. That's the idea. But here's the deal. As it says here, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time and and really this idea of the present time is not just like what you're going through right now but really for for all ages is the idea and we'll explain that here a little bit better in a moment but talking about this that the sufferings of this present time of the world things that you are going through on a daily basis maybe are not can be compared or not worthy to be compared with glory would be revealed in us there's a brighter day coming okay so in verse 19 it says the earnest expectation of the creature or creation is the idea, waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. So, in looking at that, this the earnest expectation. This is an expected hope. Think of expectations as a hope that the creature or creation. This is God's creation. There's a couple different views on this. Um, on this, is this creature or creation? Is this referring to just all of humanity? Is it referring to uh, just the unsaved? Because later on, he talks about the believer. But what this is referring to, I believe, is that this is referring to all creation itself, that everything that God has made, going back to the book of Genesis, okay? So, but the thing is this, that the path that we are on in this life does involve suffering and trials. Like I said, none of us are immune from that. Each one of us probably could tell our own stories of things that we've dealt with or are dealing with or maybe that we will deal with, uh, etc., okay? So here's the thing. I like what one preacher said this, that the the path for the sons of God, our path for the sons of God, and that's what it talked about earlier uh, in verse 14, we are the sons of God, okay, to them that believe on him, but the path for the sons of God is the path of the son of God. The The path that we have as sons of God is the path of the son of God. Who is the son of God? Jesus. In other words, Jesus has gone before us. What it says later on, that we would, what, follow in his steps. Okay? When we see the life of Christ and those that follow Christ, what did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. We're following the path of Christ. So with that will come suffering and sorrow as well. Look at the life of Jesus. And when we think about this, that's the path of suffering. But also, we think of the path of glory. The path of glory with Jesus is also the path of suffering with Jesus. How do you know that? Back in verse 17. If we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. When you are a child of God, if someone told you when you got saved, hey, when you get saved, you're going to have no problems anymore in life. Don't believe that for a moment, okay? If anything, we might have other trials. But guess what? As a believer, we look at trials very differently than the world. I'll be honest with you. We go into the hospital visiting folks, and I do that very often. When, we go, when you see that happening, you have people who are really in heartbreak, dealing with sorrow and all that, but what hope do they have really without Christ? They really don't have an answer for that. You could have wishful thinking, well, I hope I get better, and, or, hey, we will all die eventually. That's true. But, all, but as a Christian, there is something beyond that we are looking for. It's very important. So the thing is this. Is the road to future glory that we will have? God has promised us a glorious future in Him. But my question is this. Is the road to future glory worth the present pain? Yeah. Is it worth the pain that you're going through right now? I've been spending a lot of hours with the Myers family. And I be honest with you, the pain that they're going with is, is immense. On a human level, it's a lot to go through. But is it worth it? As a child of God, Absolutely. I remember talking with Marcy here just the other week, and she had quoted Psalm 23 about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I challenge Marcy in my own heart, to be honest with you, how do you answer that when someone is walking through that valley of the shadow of death? I mean, we almost lost her last week. And the thing is this, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, remember, you're walking through it, which means what? You don't stay there you don't stay there in the valley of shadow of death. Why? Because you're ultimately following the great shepherd. Take his hand. Follow his leading. What a precious promise that is for the believer. Christian, you might walk to the valley of shadow of death, but you're not going to stay there. There's a brighter day of coming. Beautiful. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter four, seventeen: For our light affliction is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory talking about our light affliction. Wait a minute. You said, Pastor Aries, a light affliction? Yeah, that's if I stub my toe. And for some, that might be a serious thing, okay? But nonetheless, we think of this. Paul, what are you talking about? And Paul, of all people, would know of affliction. He suffered abandonment. He was beaten up, left for dead. He ultimately gave his life for the Lord. So much suffering. If you don't believe me, read... Uh, uh, in 2 uh, Corinthians, really the whole book itself, and he created the sufferings that Paul himself went to, and he calls that a light affliction. Because why? What's that compared to be, to the eternal weight of glory? Like, it's interesting. We look forward to the one day, and it says here in verse 19, even, cre- even the creature or creation itself waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, one day the sons of God will truly be revealed. They will truly be revealed of who God has intended them to be. Fallen creatures saved and redeemed by grace to live in Christ's kingdom in glorified bodies. What a wonderful day that is. One day the curse will be lifted, the curse of sin when Christ returns, and our, truly will have a brighter day. But in that we see here that there's a brighter day coming. But there's two elements that we're going to look at now. Create First of all, creation groans for a brighter day. Look with me in verse 20. For the creature or creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him... Who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together, and tr- or groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. These verses here talk about really three different things about creation, or the creature, as it says here. First of all, that creation is frustrated. Why is that? When God made the world, go back to the book of Genesis. When God made the world, what did he say after he was done creating the world? He said what? It was good. It was good. In fact, it was very good. All right? You guys know the story. Okay? It was very good. In other words, everything was perfect. It, God made man and, uh, man and woman. In fact, it, talk about the perfect man, the perfect woman. The only time ever until we get to eternity, you're going to find the perfect man, the perfect woman. It was right at that, that moment. But What happened? Sin entered the picture. Because of Adam's fall, we sinned all. And we know this, and this is something we might take for granted. We know that sin has affected the whole world and our society. It's affected people. But did you know that sin has also affected creation itself? The world, the way it operates itself. And this is the idea that Paul is saying here. That the creature was made subject to vanity. The idea of vanity is futility, or simply it didn't live up to its purpose, its expectation. What do you mean by that? Have you ever, how many of you like to do a little bit of gardening or work with flowers and things like that? How many you ever planted something and it just didn't work? Anyone ever do that? Not this year, right? Well, we have a drought, you know, blame it on the drought, right? But isn't that a great illustration, though, is that this is an object, we it why we didn't li- it didn't live up to its expectation? You put a seed in the ground, it's supposed to grow. We're supposed to get fruit or whatever produce from it. The rains are supposed to come on a regular cycle. You know, you shouldn't have to worry about these things. All right, but here's the deal. Creation itself struggles. It hasn't met its full potential since the Garden of Eden. But one day it will. And by the way, keep in mind, Paul says here that it was no fault of its own. It said here, not willingly. Verse twenty. In other words, it was no fault of its own. It was because of the curse of man. It shared, though. God, remember when God cursed, he cursed, he cursed the ground. Man would have to toil and tend to it. Okay, so the ground itself, earth itself, had a share in the fall in the curse of man. But that's the frustration. The earth. I mean, when you do gardening, you do farming. Just the way itself, it's it's frustrating. Okay. Then, but what you have is this. There's a promise of a liberation. That's verse 21. The creature itself, creation itself, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption to glorious liberty of the children of God. Beautiful. In other words, this broken world is waiting to share in the liberation with the children of God. In other words, here there's a brighter day coming for both creation and for man. We have here a world that is falling apart really by the order of the Lord, by subject of the Lord. But one day will be the glorious work by the work of God. You know, it's, it's interesting that so many people have tried to create their own utopia. You know what a utopia is? Like the perfect, idyllic setting. Okay? No problems. Everyone gets along with each other. It's just a perfect environment. When I think of a, a think of your mind of a, a utopia place. Maybe your favorite place you'd love to go. Everything is just a perfect in its setting. I'll give you mine. Uh, when I was in high school and in college, I uh, worked up at Grandview Lodge up in Brainerd for several, about seven years. I loved working especially at the Pines and Preserve Golf Courses, okay? That was, I loved there. I got up there early in the morning when the sun was just rising. The mist was coming off the greens and the fairways. It was like a perfect utopian setting. Beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. I absolutely loved it. Thank God every day for that. Never been golfing at 6 in the morning. I mean, you're missing something, all right? If you're awake by that time. Okay, so <laughs> with that in mind, though, What's interesting is that even the best utopias that man can create, including these golf courses, even there you can find weeds and thorns. Think about that. Even there you can find weeds and thorns. And what is that a result of? That's a result of the fall. That's a result of sin that has cursed this earth. So what are we supposed to do? There is hope. The Bible actually talks about one day there's a brighter day coming and this world will be changed. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, or 11 verse 6, that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leper shall down, lie down with the kid, and the calf with the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. One day the, reverse, the curse will be reversed and we will have that garden of Eden again when the Lord returns. We think about the millennium when Christ will rule and reign. Things will be back in its perfect environment. What a tremendous blessing anticipation that is. And that leads us to the next part creation's anticipation. It says in verse 22: For we know that the whole creation or, uh, groaneth and travaileth together in pain, uh, together until now. What this is like, Paul is liking this to the pain of childbirth. I ain't going to ask you, ladies, if childbirth is painful. I won't ask that. I think we know the answer. But I would say this: Is that a negative pain or is that a positive pain? It's a positive pain. Why? Because there's an expectation of what? Of hope, of the baby that's coming. I mean, look at Natalie. She's literally anticipating deliverance, all right, from this baby, this baby boy. But the trial and struggle that she's going through, even the hospital right now, she's waiting for that moment when the child will actually come. And what joy in that pain that she had. I mean, ladies, you probably do remember some of that pain, but that's nothing to be compared with holding that baby in your arms, right? Okay. Okay. I got a few amens out of that. All right, so, (laughs) okay. But anyways, it's like the pain of childbirth. It's a positive pain awaiting a joyous birth. Even so, creation itself is not undergoing death pains as well. It's undergoing birth pains. That's the idea. In fact, Jesus kind of mentions this in the Olivet Discourse about how much of the future tribulation, for example... That will come upon this earth. It's kind of like birth pangs that just continues to increase and increase and increase all this pressure until what? Jesus Christ comes back and reverses the curse. This is what we are anticipating as well. So here's the point What is creation doing according to these verses? Creation is literally standing on its tiptoes looking for that deliverance, looking for that brighter day. That's the idea. It's standing on its tiptoes. Yes, it's going through suffering, going through pain, but guess what? It, According to God's plan, that's not the end of the story. There's a brighter day coming, and that creation right now is standing on the edge of its seat, looking over, waiting for that day to come, looking for that first ray of light, the first glimmer of glory. Beautiful. But not only does creation groan for a brighter day, but even so, a, cre- a Christian groans for a brighter day. Look with me in verse 23. And not they only, not just creation, but ourselves also, the believer. Which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Okay, so in looking at these verses now, we talk about the first fruits of the Spirit. So as a believer, we're waiting for that brighter day as well. That's the point, okay? And in doing that, how do we know this? How are we groaning? We have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit is really kind of a connotation to, in the Old Testament, of a first fruits offering that was brought before lord so when you had a field you grew crops the first glimmer the first uh sheaf if you will Uh, one thing i like to grow in our our family is uh is tomatoes i like to grow the cherry tomatoes especially okay and uh you know what when they're growing and you see the very first tomatoes coming on you like to see it get really nice and juicy and you can't wait to get that first taste of what it's going to be like and that's a good indication of what your crop is going to be like for the rest of the summer right so in doing that, it's that first taste. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit lives within us. We have that settlement, and that, again, is the first taste of what's to come. Again, you were saved by the grace of God, what Jesus did on the cross, and your life is forever changed. But, folks, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's a brighter day coming, even for that. So we, we have a foretaste of glory divine. I think of it, was, it's like the children of Israel. Remember the children of Israel? We talked about this last week, too that remember when they're going through Canaan and Joshua, uh, Joshua, Caleb, and the 10 other spies, Moses sends them to go spy the land of Canaan. What did Joshua and Caleb bring back with them? The grapes of Eskel, right? All the fruit from the land. Look what we found. Look at this amazing food and the fruit that we got. And guess what? The people saw it, maybe even tasted it. They had a taste of the future glory of living in the land of promise, the land of Canaan. But what happened? The ten other spies said, no, it's not going to work, folks. They're way too big, too powerful. We can't handle it. And we know that 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died off. But anyways, they had a taste, though, of that glory that awaited them. They tasted the fruit of Canaan. But even so, we have a waiting, an adoption. It says waiting for the adoption. He said, wait a minute, we, are, didn't we say last week that we are adopted by Christ. Yes, we have that positional, we have that promised inheritance, but guess what, have you received that inheritance yet? Have you seen it? Not yet, but you will when you get to glory. This is what Paul says, this is his theology, it's an already not yet type of thing. So we have it, just not quite there. It's, it's a redemption of the body, that's what we're waiting for. And this will be fully re- realized at the resurrection. You see this, we have as a Christian, we have hope in Jesus Christ. That the trials and the sufferings we have is not the end of the story. Because if it is, if this is all the life that we have, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have the hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable, or really, we're to be pitied. We're to be pitied if this is all we have. If all we have is this life, yeah, come to church on Sunday. Glad you're here. Let's sing a few songs here. A little bit of preaching. Pray a little bit. Give a little bit. Go on a missions trip if you're really super spiritual. All those good things. If that's it in this world, folks, we are supposed to be, man, you pity the person. You pity the fool, okay? go a little bit of A-team there, all right? But here's the idea. We, we have something even better. There's a brighter day coming. This is not all there is don't live that way don't think that way what a great promise we have there's a brighter day coming because the groanings that we share with creation by the way the groaning that we see here it mentions this in verse 23 here the groan we groan within ourselves now I tell you what you get up in the morning you get out of bed I guarantee you if you're like even me some days you probably groan a little bit alright enough there on the confession right But nonetheless, the groaning that we have, though, we share with creation, but it's not of complaining, but it's really an expectation, literally an eagerly awaiting uh, is the idea, an eagerly awaiting. Because why? When we see a world falling apart, our society, our government, our community, even our families that are falling apart, we have hope as believers that there's a brighter day coming. Isn't the world supposed to fall apart anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Why do we waste so much time and energy of things that really have no value? I'm not saying don't be a a good citizen, things that don't vote. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we get caught up so much in the affairs of this world that we really lose sight on the bigger picture. That's what it's talking about here. We are saved. Look at verse 24. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth, why does he hope for? So the idea here is this, that we are saved in hope, by hope, and for hope. This is an expectation. What are we hoping for? It's the redemption of the body. And what is that? It says here in verse, in, what is the hope that we have? Titus 2 verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One day our mortal bodies, our decaying bodies, will be forever changed. You won't have to deal with cancer. You won't have to deal with diabetes. You don't have to deal with hemophilia. Now, it could go through on everything else that's going on in, in your lives as well. You won't have to worry about wondering what your neighbor's going to do down the street. Right. Folks, you won't have to worry. You won't have to worry about that family reunion you're supposed to go to next week, okay? But as you think about that, there is a groaning that we have, but it's not a groaning of, "woe is was me. It's a groaning of, I can't wait. I can't wait until we get there. I can't wait till we get to heaven. You see here, a Christian's groaning is this. If you want to make it a prayer, it'd be like the prayer or the song. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. That's our prayer. We groan here, not despite that we have the Spirit, but because we have the Spirit. The groaning that we have in our own lives is really a longing to be free from the world and the body, the effects of sin in our own life. Groaning, yes, that my plants can't grow this summer. That's a groan. But we're groaning for the day when all that will be a memory. We groan when someone goes through tragedy, when someone goes through heartache, when families are falling apart. Yes, we groan for that. But as a Christian, we groan for the hope that one day everything will be restored and renewed in Jesus Christ. And guess what? Who helps us with that? The Holy Spirit. As we live in Him, are led by Him, and we're loved by Him. So, what keeps our hope bright? It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look with me in verse 25. For if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience or perseverance wait for it or wait eagerly for it? So, that's the idea. We are supposed to, with endurance, bear the weight to the finish line. In other words, in this life, we will face suffering. It will happen. But guess what? As creation waits on its tiptoes, waiting for that day approaching, even so as believers, we also have that hope. And we can look to that horizon. And we say, Lord, we long for your appearing. This doesn't, don't we get a crown as well for those who love his appearing? Amen. What a blessing that is. When we look for that day, we will see that the Lord will change everything. The sufferings and trials that we deal with are not to be compared with that. A greater day, a brighter day is coming. Reminds me of this little song, this little chorus. We sing every once in a while here, but I love it. It says here, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So what do we do now? Bravely run the race till we see Christ. Folks, there is a brighter day coming. Praise God for that.